you guys join with me. But Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your holy word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me the words of life tonight. Lord, that your words will go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. Watered by the Holy Spirit will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, I ask you to speak through me with boldness and faith. Speak the word of the Lord without compromise. Lord, I ask you that you would literally just move through this time right now and change lives. And Lord, we thank you that, that as a corporate body, we bind away the enemy's influence. He's not going to be able to, to hinder this word. As it goes out, we bless this word. We'll go forth this series. We bless it to go forth, multiply, and fill the earth, and change the lives all over the world. We bless it to be so, and the enemy's not going to hinder it. It's under the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the angels of heaven being able to remove any hindrance out of the way and push forth the kingdom of God. We declare over this service, this series, and over our lives that your kingdom comes and your will is done in the earth. On earth as it is in heaven, it is done in Jesus' name. We release that. And Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving over the harvest and those that are going to be listening to this and giving us hearts and minds and eyes to see and ears to hear, perception to anoint our minds to be able to grasp things, even things that I'm not able to say well because of the even the limitations sometimes of just the English language and being able to convey deeper things. Um, Lord, I ask that sometimes even beyond supernaturally that you would be able to convey, Holy Spirit, truth in a way that is beyond anything I could ever do. And that you would shine the light of truth into every dark place. And we ask you, Lord, to enlighten the eyes of people's hearts. That they'll know the hope to which you've called them, their inheritance. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation rest over people into the knowledge of God that hear this. And Lord, again, that the light of truth would shine in. And that everything in darkness would flee. Lord, that you would expose what needs to be exposed to people. We thank you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. All right, I'm going to begin a series. I know you guys are aware of this. I've been announcing it, but I'm going to begin a series called The Seductions of Satan. And I want to encourage everybody to do your best to hear these because I'm going to take my time and I'm going to cover over the next couple months, I'm going to cover um, the end times. I'm going to cover exposing Satan's kingdom. Conquering and spiritual warfare. I'm going to deal with some issues of deliverance. And throughout this whole series, I'm going to kind of bring up things that have to do not only with the last days, end time prophecy, but connecting that with spiritual warfare and exposing Satan's kingdom and then the tools and the biblical methods of conquering Satan in these last days. Okay? So this is going to be something I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to rush through. This could be something that goes on for like six weeks or more, I don't know, eight weeks. But I'm definitely going to spend some time on this. And I, I felt the Lord tell me to do this, okay? So please keep me in prayer during this time because the devil is not happy about things like this because it gets out there on the internet for the world to see and the world to hear literally. People all over the world. And you would be surprised how many people contact our ministry through email or through the website or whatever, they somehow come upon us. It was a divine appointment. They listened to some sermon I preached back 
a long time ago, and it really touched them. It's just amazing to see how the Holy Spirit moves like that. And so these sermons are going to go out there for the world, and the devil's not happy about it. Amen? Let me just say a few things up front. Satan's kingdom traffics in darkness, and it traffics in dryness, and it traffics in deception. This is something I want to put out there right up front. Satan's kingdom traffics in darkness. What Satan's kingdom hates the most is to be exposed. That's why in Ephesians it says to have nothing to do with deeds of darkness but expose it. Satan's kingdom automatically, when you begin to expose it, it automatically begins to have its power structure begin to crumble. I hate to use this example, but you remember, and all of us do, it's a good visual, but you remember on 9-11 when the airplane hit one of the Twin Towers and you saw as it began to crumble. When Satan's kingdom is exposed, this is a key, hear me, when light begins to shine, when the kingdom of darkness is exposed, somebody that has the eyes of a prophet and they can see and they expose what the devil's doing for what it is, that is when his kingdom gets hit and it begins to start to crumble. Because Satan's kingdom is as strong as the cloak of darkness that they hide under. And once you begin to expose them, it breaks their power. Secondly, Satan's kingdom traffics in, in dryness. And that's why in Matthew 24, when Jesus was given his discourse about the end times, one of the things he said, and it seemed to be, when I read it, it seemed to be something that just came out of nowhere. That here he is talking about the end times. And he's talking about the, age, the church age. And then he goes into the abomination that causes desolation, which is the Antichrist uh, proclaiming himself to be God in the temple. And he goes into the Jews running and fleeing. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere he says, where there's a dead body, the vultures are gathered. See, Satan's kingdom traffics where it's dry. Where the river of the Holy Ghost is flowing, Satan's kingdom, is their power is broken. I'm telling you, they cannot really function there. But whenever it's sterile and it's spiritually dead and it's dry, the enemy's at work. And then the last thing is Satan's kingdom traffics in deception. And I heard a man of God say today, I was listening to a sermon, he said that the thing about deception is it's deceiving. Somebody that's deceived believes with all their heart that they're right. And they're wrong. And they believe with all their heart, you're wrong. But you're right. And see, that's the thing about deception. Satan's kingdom traffics in deception. So when the truth goes forth, that's why Jesus said the truth will set you free. This is what he's talking about. When the truth goes forth, it breaks the power of deception. It breaks the power of lies of the enemy. See, Satan is known as Beelzebub, which means the, the Lord of the flies. And in the Bible, flies represent lies. And so there's all these lies that will begin to swarm around people's minds. And if they let them, this is a, a gross depiction, but this is actually what the Bible's painting. If people let those flies land on their head and begin to lay eggs, all of a sudden now their mind is filled with all kinds of deception. But see, whenever you begin to speak the truth, it begins to go out of your mouth like a sword, and it begins to go out of your mouth like a beam of light, 
And it will go right into those dark places and it will shatter all those lies and those strongholds of the enemy. Because when people believe lies over a period of time, it forms a stronghold. Satan lied to them and they believed it. And then they kept believing it. Then they started speaking it. And then they kept speaking it. Then they started imagining it. And they kept imagining it. And now it's a stronghold. And now it takes the power of the Holy Ghost to break that stronghold and the power of the Word. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit and the Word, they will always go together. John talked about in 1 John, he talked about the blood. He talked about the Spirit. He talked about the water. But see, the thing is, the, the, the Holy Spirit, He will always work with the Word of God. And when they're together, when you're preaching the Word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that together has the power to shatter the forces of darkness. But what's wrong with a lot of places is, is that they're preaching the Word of God, but there's no power of the Holy Spirit. And then other places have the move of the Holy Spirit, but they're not really preaching the Word of God. Once you bring the Word of God, and I'm not just talking about the Logos, I'm not just talking about reading some Bible story. I'm talking about whoever's preaching has heard from God. This is the Word for now. This is what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. And you're speaking out the rhema Word of God. The Holy Spirit will come on that Word. He'll anoint it. And it will be so powerful that it will go like a double-edged sword and it will destroy the devil's works. But you have to hear from God. Too many places are, are just getting up and telling Bible stories. Or motivational speeches. That has no real power. Especially when I'm talking about these motivational speeches. That has no power in it. It has no power to set people free. What has the power to set people free is the true Word of God. And the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit, where He's resisted and quenched and grieved, He's not going to be at work. And people that want to put Him off in a back room because they're ashamed of Him, that's not the way to honor Him and let Him move and change lives. How many knows He's God Almighty? And He should be honored just like the Father and just like the Son. In these last days, we're desperately going to need great faith. That's why I did a series on faith. And I'm going to keep talking about faith. But we have got to get a revelation about faith, I'm telling you. We're going to need to believe before we see in these last days. And we're going to need faith because we're going to be ha before us are going to be some very challenging situations and circumstances that are going to arise. Whether it be in the economy, whether it be plagues or disasters and different things going on. Whatever it is, in these last days, there, there's a move. The Bible says that there is going to be a move politically. The stage is being set. Who knew in our day? 20 years ago, I would have never thought this much advancement of end time prophecy would be happening. But it is not in, at all something that's far-fetched anymore to see the political scene, the unrest. There's an unrest politically. There's people... The, the, Satan's kingdom has masterminded this and the Bible says it would happen and God's going to permit it. But there's going to be a meltdown of the world's economy and it's setting stage for a one world currency. There's going to be a meltdown to the degree that people are going to cry out for a one world government and it's going to happen. And when it does, it's going to be very anti-Jewish and it's going to be very anti-Christ. 
The political scene right now is already making advances that way. It's not far-fetched. Whenever I take my iPhone and I'm able to go in and, and, and use an app to scan something, we're right on the edge of the mark of the beast. You're right on the edge of now the government wanting to know everything about you and put it in a chip and put it in your right hand or your forehead. There's already computer databases, even Walmart's database supposedly has more uh, space gig-wise than the internet. There's databases that can store it. We all love technology. I love my iPhone, man, you know. I love, I love different technological things. I do. I enjoy these things. It, it makes my life easier. But it's actually a noose that's being slipped around the neck of society. Because when the Antichrist arises to power, they're going to turn it and use it for the wrong reasons. The Bible says we're living in perilous times. We're going to need a great anointing in these last days. We're going to need to have a strong prayer life. If you've, been, if you've had a prayer life, you need to go deeper. If you haven't had a prayer life, you better get one. You need to learn how to pray, and you need to learn how to hear from God, and you need to learn how to walk with the Spirit of God. These are days when we're going to have to be separated from the Babylonian system. We're going to need revival like never before. And we're going to need an understanding of the last days. And I'm going to paint a picture for you throughout this series of what's going on throughout the world and, and how to be ready. With Israel becoming a nation, time has passed. Seeing the things that we're seeing now, the focus has already shifted from Israel to Jerusalem. The focus is already on the Temple Mount. Do you understand that the Bible says that, that the Antichrist will set himself up in the Temple and that Jesus is eventually going to come back to the Temple? This, the reason why the focus has went from Israel to Jerusalem and now from Jerusalem to the Temple Mount shows you that we are so close. Satan knows end time prophecy and knows that Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem. And he's trying to do everything he can to stop it. But he won't be able to. So let me give you a few things I want to talk about. I really want to get to the Babylonian system and I'm, I'm just laying a foundation. This is just part one. This is just out there to kind of lay some groundwork. But I'm going to show you some things about the end times right here in Revelation 12. Okay, start, I'm going to begin to paint a picture. But it says, it was a great sign that appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, she represents Israel, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain and was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. Now let me just stop there. I'm going to go through this and just explain some things as we go. Satan started out in the Garden of Eden as a serpent, but he ends up in the book of Revelation as a great red dragon. What's happened is, is that Satan has grown in power over the centuries. Because even if you look at the Greek, dragon is a huge serpent. And so he's grown in power. You see, Satan's kingdom has had time to study humanity and study weaknesses in humanity. And if Satan could attack 
Eve, even in the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve were perfect and they were sinless, they were without sin, and he could strategically attack them in a way that literally stole their authority and took them down spiritually. We need to walk in a lot of humility and understand that us in a fallen state need to be utterly dependent on the blood of Jesus and on the Holy Spirit to keep us. And we need to walk in humility. See, people that start talking about how stupid the devil is, I automatically begin to shut them off because they've never been through warfare. I don't have time to listen to somebody who don't know what they're talking about. The devil's kingdom is not stupid. It's just that greater is he that's in us. Amen. You don't underestimate the enemy. I don't want to get ahead of me. That's later. But anyway, whenever you're dealing with Satan's kingdom, I want you to understand that he's had 6,000 years to study humanity. Now here's some other things about Satan's kingdom. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. You can't help but think of Leviathan when you see this. The seven heads, I'll get to later, but represent seven world-ruling spirits. The ten horns represent ten principalities. Both geographical and fallen angels. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. That's where you get that a third of the angels fell from heaven right there. The dragon, here's what I want you to see. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment it was born. Now that was Jesus. That was, that was Israel birthing the Christ. But what I want you to see is this. Satan always attacks things at an infancy stage. When, when Moses was born, Satan's kingdom attacked the male children, and they were all thrown into the Nile. When Jesus was born, he, Satan stirred up Herod, and, and they, they went through and slaughtered all those children trying to kill Jesus. And here's the thing. Satan always attacks. You see it right here. He stood in front of the woman trying to kill the child that came forth. He attacks and tries to kill things at an infancy stage. And I believe with all my heart that Satan knew his time was short, he saw Israel supernaturally come back as a nation. He saw the Hebrew language get restored. He saw this last day revival starting to break out. He knew his time was short and he stirred up the Holocaust. And he also stirred up abortion. And he's trying to kill these people that have an end time destiny before they get into the earth. He knows his time is short. He tried to stir up the Holocaust to, to prevent Israel from being able to, to become a nation. He tried to ki see, he tried to kill it at an infancy stage. That's what I'm trying to show you, right at the beginning. And whenever a ministry is birthed, a church is birthed, when a calling is birthed, right there at the beginning, Satan will try to kill it right then. He is the God of abortion. He is, he is so into trying to kill something in an infancy stage. You know why? Because it's vulnerable. When a ministry first starts, when somebody's first called, it's at that baby stage. It's, it's vulnerable. And Satan wants to take advantage of vulnerability. Because he knows if he waits, it's going to grow, it's going to become strong, it's going to become powerful, and then he won't be able to do anything. 
Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God, to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for, for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in the heavens. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. Now let me stop there. You know, people don't understand. You need to put in perspective that God will never get off his throne to deal with the devil because he don't have to. When you're dealing, let me put it in perspective. When you're dealing with spiritual warfare, you're, you're looking at God. God's like this huge, massive giant. I mean, you know, 20 foot tall, huge muscles giant, and the devil's a mosquito. Okay? This is not comparing the two. I mean, th there's no way of comparing. When God goes to deal with the devil, God's not even going to raise his pinky on his throne. Okay? He's not going to do it. He's just going to look, and Michael's going to go down there and whip him. So Satan can't even contend with God's angels, let alone God. Let's put it in perspective. Satan does have some power and some authority here in the earth realm because he stole it from Adam. People go around talking about the devil has no power once again. I don't got time for people that don't know what they're talking about. Satan's kingdom does have power and authority, but we have in Christ authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm us Luke 10:19. Okay? So don't underestimate him, but at the same time understand who you are and what you have in Christ. So when it's time for war to break out in heaven, which it already is in our day right now, Michael and his angels are going to go forth in that second heaven and they're going to deal with those principalities and powers. But they're going to lose their place. And when Satan and his kingdom are brought down from that second heaven to the earth and they begin to lose their place, they're going to begin to take their wrath out on humanity. Verse 8. But Satan was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you and he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. This is the day we're living in. But we overcome him by the blood. Let's talk about the blood just for a moment. The blood. You need to put the faith, your faith in the blood like never before. The blood is over you. The blood is over your health. The blood is over your money. It's over what you own. It's over your family. It's over your household. It's over your bloodline. The blood of Jesus is over you. And that blood protects you. It seals you off. But also you overcome by the word of your testimony. That's why it's so important that you're speaking faith and victory and not defeat. You overcome him by the blood and by what's coming out of your mouth. God created us to conquer. Now I want to get into this. This was the foundation. God created us to conquer. 
Everybody say conquer. conquer. Say it like you mean it. Conquer. God has created you to conquer. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. This is important. And I don't know if you're going to hear it too many other places. God has created you to conquer. He has created you. Listen to me. We are more than conquerors now. Romans 8.37 And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. 1 John 4.4 4, Now. Not greater is he that's in you one day. No, now. You're more than conquerors now. Now what you've got to understand is there is no armor in your back. People have got to understand that when you run from Satan or you're running from battle, that you're not moving forward to conquer, and therefore you're surely going to be defeated. God did not create the armor with anything in the back because He wants us to be a people that is moving forward and conquering and taking ground. He is not in this cowardly stuff. The Bible says clearly that those that, that have fear, it's a spirit of fear, that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And the Bible says in Revelation 21... Um, 8, 9, and 10, it talks about the cowardly being thrown into the lake of fire. God has not created cowards. He's created people full of faith and boldness that you're meant to conquer. Now, here's my point. You're meant to always be moving forward. Everybody say moving forward. If you don't get anything else out of this, this sermon tonight, I want you to get this. You're created to move forward. That does not mean stop. You don't ever stop. When you stop is when you're going to start having problems. You're always moving forward. That's why the armor is in your front because you're moving forward and the armor is there to protect you as you move forward. God has created us like the hull of a boat. Have you ever looked at a boat? The back of it is flat but the front of it has a point. The boat is created to move forward at a high rate of speed. We are created like that as Christians, that God has given us a grace to plow forward. That whole of that boat is created to take the waves, but the waves split before it. God has created you to move forward and press through adversity and break through it to the other side. Just like the hull of a boat will hit the waves, but it will split those waves and keep going forward. Why is this important? Because your forward progression is a major key in your walk spiritually. Before somebody can backslide, the first thing they're going to have to do is stop their forward progression. What Satan hates to see is to see the people of God marching forward. That you're going forward and you're taking steps. So the first thing Satan will do when he attacks. Now I'm going to start talking about some synthetic attack. This is part one. But I'm going to go ahead and get into some of this. But when the Satan attacks. His goal first and foremost is to stop your forward progression. The Bible says we're supposed to be going from glory to glory. Everybody say glory to glory. You should be going from faith to faith. You should be going from, from revelation to revelation. You should be on a forward progression. You're learning something new today. You're becoming more like the Lord today. You're, you're getting closer to Him today. 
You're hearing a fresh word today. You're, you're moving forward. You don't ever stop. God has given us a picture of a river and, and we as Christians are always moving. And if a river ever stops moving, it will get stagnant. And that's the perfect picture. If you stop moving spiritually, you're going to get stagnant. There's always a movement. When you're moving, it's like a river and the waters are pure. But how many knows the Bible says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, let's stop there for a moment because I'm going to make a really important point about this. If there's a place in our lives where there's not righteousness, there's not peace, and there's not joy, that's a place where the enemy needs to be kicked out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God will help you. He will give you His grace. His grace is sufficient. The word grace means favor and it's empowering. People have totally messed up the word grace in Western Christianity. They have no idea what it means. Grace is the ability to overcome. God gives you the grace to overcome sin. But people have perverted that word into a license to sin. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's, it's the grace to overcome it. So, the place where there's not righteousness, there's not peace, or there's not joy, is a place where God will give you the grace to overcome. Because your life should be perpetually righteous. You should be living a righteous life. You should be walking in peace. And you should be full of the joy of the Lord. But if you're full of depression, you're full of discouragement, you're full of, of fear and worry and doubt, that is not from God, that's not of the kingdom of God, and it needs to be kicked out and replaced with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right. <clears throat> so with that said, let me give you the downward spiral of satanic oppression. Somebody compiled this, I believe it was Lester Sumrall, I'm not sure, but there's a downward spiral of satanic oppression. The first thing Satan will do will, is to bring regression. Regression basically is that Satan is trying to stop your forward movement. He's trying to cause you to withdraw. When you have a call on your life and you're called to preach something, Satan will try to stand in your face and intimidate you. He wants you to withdraw. He wants you to decrease or to begin to backslide, to pull back. He wants to stop your forward movement. He wants you to revert to a former level, to reverse a trend, or to shift back to a lower state. That's what regression means. So here you are plowing forward like the hull of a boat. You're pressing through the waves of adversity. You're moving forward into what God's called you to do. You're going from glory to glory, then Satan attacks. His first goal is just stop the forward movement. And if he can do that, then the next step is repression. And what that means is a lack of expression. You can see it. And I'm, I'm going to paint you a picture. I really believe this is going to make a lot of sense to you as I go. 
See, what you see when people have stopped their forward movement and they've slowed down and, and it's ground now to a halt. And then what happens next is they begin to lose their joy and their expression. At one time in church, they were jumping there and praising and worship. Their hands were up. They were shouting. They were singing. Their countenance seemed to shine. And now, when you look at them, it's just depression. Their countenance has fallen. Their eyes are sad. That's, that's the enemy. He stopped your forward progression, and now he's repressing you. He's stealing your joy and stealing your expression. Let me tell you something about God. God has created us to be a people full of expression. Now, I know in American culture and in, in England and different places, that if, you've ever, if you've ever been around a worship service with people from Africa or people from South America, you'll see what I'm saying. They're full of expression. They're loud, they jump, they shout. I mean, they're just wild in their expression. But Satan hates that. See, when, when a baby comes out of the womb and the do doctor slaps him on the hiney, from that moment on, expression begins in life. And Satan tries to steal your expression. He wants to, to beat somebody down to where they don't express themselves anymore. They're not happy and joyful that they feel all bound they feel like they cannot express themselves to God or to other people. They have walls up where they can't show love or receive love. They're just in bondage. If Satan can do this, he can stop your forward progression, and then he can begin to repress you and steal your joy, steal your expression. Which, let me say this before I go to the next point. I think that's why God sent the move of the Holy Spirit through Rodney Howard Brown in this nation that he did. I really do. Because he knew in these last days we were going to need the joy of the Lord, the expression back. I do. They, because it, it restores something. Many people are, are emotionally healed because they're able once again to finally express themselves to the Lord. They're able to be free in their emotions. If Satan can stop you and he can begin to repress you, the next thing he will do is suppress you. The word suppress means to squeeze down abnormally. Squeezing down is like a pressure. Satan wants to beat people down. Press them down. They begin to feel heavy. This is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about a spirit of heaviness. Which can also be translated a spirit of infirmity. A lot of people don't know that. But it's a spirit of heaviness. And it's, an, it's a heaviness. It's something that is trying to weigh them down. But see, up until this point, they could still break out of it. If he can suppress somebody, the next thing is, he wants to bring depression. What depression is, it's a broken spirit. It's a feeling like giving up. Somebody feels hopeless. Like Elijah felt whenever he went and hid under the juniper tree. You got to understand the story of Elijah. Because this was a mighty man of God with an incredible anointing. I mean, he had killed single-handedly like 850 false prophets. And these were men, 
So it's hard for me to believe that he was afraid of a woman. He wasn't afraid of a woman, really. It was the spirit, it was the Jezebel spirit that was back there, like this giant that was just glaring down on him with witchcraft, and it scared him. It put some kind of intimidation. He wasn't afraid of her, but the spirit there had an effect on him. And what he did was, he ran out into the wilderness, hid under a juniper tree, and he wanted to die. Somebody that's dealing with depression, they don't feel like going on anymore. They feel like death would be a great solution. They feel hopeless. And then if Satan can continue to keep somebody in depression, the next step is oppression. And what I want you to picture what the word oppression is, is that somebody now has strapped a big giant backpack on somebody's back, spiritually speaking, and now they are carrying a heavy burden. They are weighed down with a load that they were never meant to carry. But up to this point, they could have broke through if they would have pressed through at church. If they would have been thankful for the trials instead of complaining. If they would have praised God even though they don't feel like it. If they would have come down to the altar and got hands laid on them and got spent some time on the carpet under the glory. If they would have told people, hey man, the devil's been trying to oppress and got people around them. They could have broke that. They could have shattered that and lifted it off their life. At this point, they could have broke through pretty easy. But the next step, it's not that easy to break free from, and that is obsession. An obsession is becoming preoccupied with a thought pattern. It's an idea or an emotion that cannot be broken by natural means. It is a persistent, inescapable preoccupation. At this point, someone, Satan has someone captive, and they either have a claw in the brain, or they have a yoke around their neck. But they're in bondage. And it will take the Word of God as a sword, and it will take a mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit to break that off of them. But see, if people are made aware of the tactics of Satan, they can understand that Satan's trying to steal your forward progression. And as soon as they start feeling that heaviness coming against them to stop praying, to, stop, to get out of the Word, to get out of church, and all these different things, if they could just understand what the devil's trying to do, he's trying to stop their forward progression, then they could circumvent many of these attacks right off the bat. But the people, are they perish because they're ignorant of Satan's devices. It's a lack of knowledge. Somebody that's become obsessed has their mind is fixed on something. Maybe they got hurt, they felt rejected, and they became so preoccupied and so focused on that, they never could get free from it. They got so obsessed with their weight and their looks that they, they started practically overdosing on some kind of a, a weight loss pill and now they've got health problems. They got obsessed. 
They get obsessed with things. They get too focused. And Satan has got their focus off of Jesus and onto something else. And they're preoccupied. They're in bondage to it. Now it's become a bondage. Now instead of them controlling it, it controls them. They're like a puppet on a string that is being manipulated and moved by a spirit. And if they don't break this, if they don't get in church and they don't go through deliverance and get this broken off of them, and they keep giving in to these patterns over and over and over, eventually, possession. This is where the demon has taken up residence and the person now needs serious deliverance because something is either in them, on them, or around them, but it definitely has them wrapped up. And you can see this pattern in the lives of people. They get out of church, they get out of revival, they get away from the move of God for one reason or another, and it's a gradual spiral down, and they find themselves worse off spiritually than they've ever been in their life. Satan has got them on a tailspin. This is why I want to tell you today, 1 Peter 5.8 says to be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I want you to be alert and I want you to be aware because in these last days, there's going to be some of the greatest satanic attack the world's ever known. Do you understand that? But greater is he that's in us. And we will overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. In the word of our testimony. We will conquer. But you don't underestimate the devil and you don't overestimate him. Here's, here's what I want to give you some wisdom. Do not underestimate your enemy. I hear preachers sometimes say things and I love them and they may be really good preachers most of the time. But they'll get off on how stupid and, and stuff the devil is and they're just mocking things. and they, You know... There is such a lack of wisdom in that. You do not take your adversary lightly. Anybody will tell you that's ever played any type of serious sports or has ever been involved in any type of military activity that you never underestimate your opponent. That's a good way to either get defeated or hurt. But you don't overestimate him either. Don't ever tell me how big the devil is. You tell me how big God is. Don't overestimate your enemy. Don't make him bigger than what he is. See, here's the thing. Some people underestimate. They're prideful, they're presumptuous, and they ended up getting knocked out in the ring. They got a bloody nose. They're on the ground crying and people got to come help them. Because they underestimated their enemy. They got cocky. And they got a smart mouth about them and they reap something. Then you've got other people over here that are, everything's always about the warfare. There's always some, something going on. It's always this. And they're magnifying the devil. They're overestimating him. They're making him bigger than what he really is. When they need to be magnifying the Lord. And talking about his promises and how powerful he is. If you will balance that out, don't underestimate the devil, but don't overestimate him. If you'll balance that, that's wisdom. You know what they're capable of, but you also know who your God is. And you know that you're under his blood, 
and that you have his authority, that you have his armor on you, you have his word in your mouth, and you have authority over all the power of the enemy. The Bible says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. See, if you're walking in peace and you're walking in faith, you will also be crushing Satan's kingdom under your feet. And this is what I want to close with. This is actually going to, to be a gate swinging open when I start talking about Babylon that's going to start moving into the other teachings that I'm going to do. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a little nugget tonight. But I want to talk about Babylon the Great, Revelation 17 and 18. Babylon is symbolic in the Bible of Satan's kingdom, both naturally and spiritually. Let me say that again. Babylon in the Bible is symbolic of Satan's kingdom, both naturally and spiritually. Meaning, the natural Babylonian system is this wicked world that we live in. The Bible calls it Babylon. The spiritual system is the echelons of principalities and powers and, and world-ruling spirits that Satan has in place throughout the world. That's his spiritual kingdom. And they have a lot to do with the natural kingdom. And many times when you see some tyrant, some dictator, some evil man in a position of authority over a nation, you're actually seeing the actual personality of the principality over that nation exerted through him. But Revelation 18.2, it says, With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. But look at that, it says, Fallen, fallen, twice. Natural Babylon will fall and spiritual Babylon will fall and Jesus will come and take over. Amen. Amen. But let me give you some things about Babylon. I'm just kind of laying some groundwork with this. But Zechariah 5.5, 5, let me read this. The, this is the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. He was prophesying the last days. He was prophesying about this Babylonian system that we would see in the last days that would one day have an antichrist over it. These men walked with God. But Zechariah said, The angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, Look up and see what is appearing. Zechariah asked, What is it? He replied, It is, it is a basket. And he added, This is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised. It was a lid that was raised off the basket. And there in the basket sat a woman. And the angel said, This is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed the lead cover down on it. Covered her back up. Then he looked up, and there before me were two women with wind in their wings, and they had wings like a stork. And they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth, which represents that second heaven kingdom. And Zechariah asked, where are they taking the basket? The angel who was speaking to Zechariah replied, to the country of Babylonia. To build a house for it, when the house is ready, the basket will be set in its place. And then you see in Revelation 17 and 18, you see the horror of Babylon. 
See, this was something that Satan has had planned for a long time and God's going to allow. He's been, he's been laying out the groundwork for this Babylonian system for some time. He's been studying humanity. And he's been working to create a structure both in the natural realm and in the spiritual realm, which the Bible calls the Babylonian system. That will see and will host the rise of the Antichrist in the last days. It's interesting I put this, A Tale of Two Cities, because I believe it was A Tale of Two Cities that opened with this is the best of times and the worst of times. It's interesting, isn't it, that we are living in the days when it is the best of times, but the worst of times at the same time. It's the best of times for us, but it's the worst of times for the world, but we're stuck in the world. Why don't you look at this, a tale of two cities. Let me tell you about Babylon. You know where Babylon is right now? Babylon is modern day Iraq in the natural. But what people got to understand is, is in that geographic location, there was one time a place called the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, things were beautiful. It was a paradise. It was a garden. And I mean, Adam and Eve would walk through it. The earth watered itself. Adam and Eve would just simply tend the garden and spend time with God. They had it made. But Eden became a place of great rebellion. As Adam transgressed, he rebelled against God and Satan took over. And now, when you look at that geographic area, you look at Iraq, it's no paradise. But later on, in the same geographic location, mankind tried to gather around and create some kind of a, a tower that would reach to heaven in some vain attempt to overthrow God's plans. And God had already told them that they were going to fill the earth and multiply. But they tried to gather under themselves. It was rebellion. It was rebellion against God. And once again, mankind rebelled against God in that geographic area. And God confused their language. In other words, what He did was He had them start speaking different dialects. They couldn't understand each other. And He forced them to then fill the earth and multiply because of their dialects being different. But once again, you see a rebellion. And so, that was called the Tower of Babel. And that's where we get the word Babylon. And Babylon means confusion. And so what you see when you look at Babylon is, it's a place of great rebellion against God. That's the imagery I want you to get. A great rebellion against God. Then you also have Jerusalem. The apple of God's eye, the city of God. That at one time was, was ruled by Canaanites. The Canaanite people literally were devil worshippers. They worshipped fallen angels. They had all these horrible witchcraft and occult practices. And they would, they would kill their children, sacrificing it to demon gods like Molech. And they, they filled the land with witchcraft. But God spoke to a man by the name of Abraham and gave him a, a descendants, gave him, made him into a great nation. And he brought his people in there to take over. And when he did, Joshua led the first campaign of warfare and he took ten cities. The first city was the tithe. And God required that all that was in that city would be given to him. And that's why Achan died, because he tried to touch the tithe. But Joshua fulfilled his mandate. 
Then you see another champion arise, a man by the name of King David. And King David went forth to begin to finish conquering Canaan. He took a stronghold called Jebus Salem, and it was where the Jebusites resided. And they had created a wall that was a fortified city. And they were mocking David and his men. Bad idea. Because God was with David. They were mocking David and they, they were saying, you know, even our blind and our lame, our crippled people could whip you. And even though they mocked him, they had been there. They, the Jebusites had been there all these years, all the way up until King David. They had a stronghold. But even though they mocked David, David had a triple anointing on his life. A lot of people don't know that. He's the only man in the Bible to have been anointed three times. He was anointed by Samuel the prophet. He was anointed whenever he began to take over Judah, Jerusalem, uh, the, the lower, out of Hebron, okay, when he took over there. And then he was anointed again king over all of Israel. He was anointed three times. He had a triple anointing. And whenever he came up there, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit, and God was fighting with him, and he took that Jebu Salem, the Jebusites, Salem means peace, but anyway, he took it from him and he named it Jerusalem. And it became known as the city of David. And God told David, he said, you will always have somebody to rule over this city. And what a lot of people don't understand is, is Jesus was born in the lineage of David. And he literally was the son of David. That's why many times you read in the New Testament where people would say, Have mercy on me, son of David. So Jesus is the king of kings. And he's the one the Bible says will rule out of Jerusalem with an iron scepter. And Jerusalem is a place, once God was moving in the, in the area of, of Eden, but that became a place of great rebellion. And because of that, principalities... Demonic forces began to rule there. And the Bible calls the prevailing prince, satanic prince, over that part of the world, the prince of Persia. And so Iraq, Babylon, that area, has been filled with turmoil. It was a place of great rebellion, but it's also a place where God's glory used to be. You've got to understand, where God, if you ever let the glory come, and then you lose the glory, there will be a tormenting spirit. Do you understand? That's why King Saul was tormented. You don't ever... What, see, that area lost the glory, and now Satan's kingdom set up there. But the Lord began to move now toward Jerusalem. And when you look in the Bible, what do you see in the book of Revelation marks the end times? It's constantly talking about Jerusalem, Israel... And Babylon. What are you seeing constantly on, in you know, uh, CNN and, and Fox and all these? What are you constantly about the unrest in the Middle East? You're constantly hearing about Jerusalem. You're constantly hearing about Iraq and Iran. And are you seeing what I'm saying? So Babylon, a place of great rebellion. Babylon means confusion. It's Satan's kingdom. The beast with seven heads and ten horns. What you've got to understand is Satan has had many years to study humanity. 
And some Bible scholars believe this. I think it's a mixture of all of, all of what I'm going to share with you. But they believe that the ten horns represent the, uh, or I'm sorry, the seven heads represent the seven enemies that Israel had. Israel faced at one time Egypt and then Assyria, then later Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greece Empire under Alexander the Great, then Rome, and then of course the revived Roman Empire of the last days. And they think that that's what those um, seven heads represent. I think it's bigger than that. I think the ruling spirits and, and the response that humanity had, I think Satan has studied that. And he's perfected something in these last days, so to speak. <clears throat> and what we're going to see is a revived or a revised Grecian type of empire moving into a revived Rome. Remember Daniel's statue. The head of gold was Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then Greece, and then Rome, and then the ten toes. See, the ten toes of the statue are the same as the ten heads of this beast. It's the revived Roman Empire. So what's going to happen is, is that Satan is going to begin to bring together all of these things that historically have been successful against the people of God. That's why in the book of Revelation it called Jerusalem, Egypt, and Sodom. Because the spirits that were over Egypt and Sodom are coming against it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so Satan studied how he worked in Egypt. And how he had those powerful sorcerers. And how the magic and, and the spirit over Egypt and how the people responded. And then he studied the successive empires and how he could manipulate them and he could use them against the people of God. And he's taken all of that and he's going to gather it in because demons and fallen angels don't die. He's going to gather it all into his Babylonian system. The seven heads represent seven world rulers, in my opinion. One of the main world rulers will be the Jezebel and Ahab spirit. And it's important to have a lot of knowledge about this spirit because in these last days, this is going to be one of the key spirits. The Bible calls it the whore of Babylon. If it is the whore of Babylon, which it is, then you know that it's got a preeminent place in Satan's kingdom. And it would be advantageous to all of us to learn a little bit about these tactics and be aware of it. And what is concerning to me is that this, this spirit of Jezebel, you can see it rising to power over the Babylonian system. It's the whore of Babylon. It sits on the waters, which represents humanity, humanity. And not only that, it says that the kings of the earth fornicate with her. The kings of the earth, that fornicate means that's idolatry. Okay, in a symbolic sense. But the kings of the earth are idolatrous with her. But what's concerning to me, not really that you see it in the world, but what's concerning to me is you're seeing it in the church. I'm not going to go off on the spirit of Jezebel tonight because I'm going to devote some time to it later. But what you've got to understand is, is that it's a spirit that promotes idolatry and compromise. It's compromising with the world. It's the spirit that tries to tell people, oh, you know, it's okay to watch that. It's okay to listen to that. It's not that big a deal. 
It's the spirit that seduces people into sin. And what's concerning to me is it's also the spirit that is behind a lot of this manipulation that goes on. What you see, you can even see it in the news media. You can see it in politics where Israel will actually be attacked and they'll be a victim and they're just defending themselves but somehow this witchcraft gets involved and now they're played out to be the bad guy and these murderers are the ones that are made to look like a victim. Only the devil could cause that much deception. But you'd be surprised how many people are getting sucked into it in their minds. And you hear the voice, the seducing voice of a Jezebel spirit, whenever you hear people that are talking about all this, quote, love and tolerance. But it's not biblical love. It is a, it's a voice that is not repentant. And it's a voice that's saying that you are too hard and you need to quit calling sin, sin. You need to quit preaching against sin. And it's saying you just need to tone everything down, water everything down, and appease people. It's a spirit of Jezebel. And somebody needs to say something about it. Because it's seducing people into sin. And whenever somebody takes a stand for righteousness, now that spirit is it's hissing. And it'll use people to say, well, you're just unloving. And how does somebody defend themselves against that? See, it's, it's a manipulation. It's witchcraft. And you see it in the world and you see it in the church. You see it in the world. I just saw on Yahoo, I saw some Christian band had gotten into a school and were preaching the gospel to them. And they were talking about, you know, avoiding sexual sin, you know, waiting till you're married to have sex. They were talking about staying off drugs and all this stuff. And I was proud of them. But the media crucified them. You know why? Because Jezebel sits over the media. And some girl calls her mom crying. All upset. About what they were saying. See, here's the thing. Why is there not repentance? The Bible says godly sorrow should lead to repentance. That means when the Holy Ghost convicts me because I'm doing something wrong, my tears turn into repentance. Not justifying things. But see, what you're seeing is you're seeing people bawl their little eyes out and act like some kind of victim just because you said, hey, that's sin. But they're not repenting. God gave them the grace to feel that conviction and that guilt to feel it, wanting that godly sorrow to lead to repentance, but it's not leading to repentance, it's leading to rebellion, and it's Jezebel. And you see it in the church, because as soon as somebody, some, especially a, a male authority figure when you're dealing with Jezebel, but you'll see somebody say, that's sin. The Bible says that's sin. And then, oh, I can't believe he said that. And they go off crying like some baby. There's no repentance. There's no repentance. Instead, there's rebellion. I'm not going to humble myself and repent. I'm going to rebel against that man. And I'm going to stir others up to do it. It's witchcraft. It's a Jezebel spirit. Listen, somebody needs to preach this. Amen. I need to get off this, but 
The seven heads, number one, I believe it's the Jezebel Ahab spirit. Number two, it's an Antichrist spirit. This is another world ruler. The Antichrist spirit is a, is a religious spirit. It's the spirit you see at work in, in counterfeit Christs. See, the Christ of the Mormons, the Christ of the Jehovah's Witness, the Christ of the Catholics, is not the Christ that we know. It's not the, it's not the Christ of God the Father. And the Antichrist, the word anti, can be translated opposition, but it, it can also be translated counterfeit. So what the Antichrist will be, will be a counterfeit Christ. So what, anti, what the Antichrist spirit is, it offers a counterfeit. I'm just making it real simple. It offers a counterfeit. A counterfeit Christianity, a so-called Christianity that waters down the gospel and is okay with abortion, it's okay with homosexuality, it's okay with two people living together and having sex outside of marriage, it's okay with this, it's okay with other religions. It's a counterfeit. It's an antichrist spirit. And the antichrist, the man, will be able to tap right into that counterfeit Christianity and use it. And all the while, true Christianity is going to be increasingly looked at like this radical group of fanatical people that are intolerant and they, ca they cannot function in our society of quote peace. Because their definition of peace, the world's definition of peace is, is that a Muslim holds hands with some kind of Christian, with a Buddhist, with a homosexual, with this, with that, and all of us sing kumbaya around a campfire. And everybody's okay. We just all just love one another. But see, Jesus is not in that. Jesus is in this. He is in, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody is going to go to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus is in. And Jesus is in, listen, Jesus is in, either you repent of your sin and come to me or you perish. That's what Jesus is in. But this Antichrist spirit is already very strongly at work. Uniting world religions. Then you're going to have Leviathan. Leviathan is a very powerful spirit. And it has to do with pride. And it has to do with confusion. When there's a Leviathan spirit at work, there'll be so much confusion. People don't know what's going on. Somebody will say something out of their mouth, but by the time it gets out there in the atmosphere, Leviathan has so flipped it up and jumbled it, where ten people hear ten completely different things. And then they go home and gossip about all the difference. That's Leviathan. Leviathan traffics through prideful people, and it is a spirit that's very powerfully used in gossip, slander, and Loshan Hara. You're also going to see the rise of another world ruling spirit called mind control. This spirit is much like an octopus, and that it will take all of its different tentacles, and it will run them into people's minds, and it will manipulate their thinking. And one of the greatest ways that the Antichrist will be able to manipulate the thinking of the world is through the media. I love people, but people are so gullible. The media right now won't report the 1,000 good things that our military did overseas this last month, but they'll report one supposed scandal. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Most of the media now will not even report any type of truth 
they have literally sold themselves to this agenda, this Antichrist agenda. There's got to be something behind the scenes and under the table. There has to be. Because there's no way that these major networks all over the world would be so bent on only saying what they want you to hear. And it's connected to the political arena who they want to be the next president. It's connected to everything. It's, it's manipulation and it's mind control. One of the ways you control people's thinking is by constantly putting it out there over and over and over a thought. Because even if somebody originally didn't buy it, they keep hearing it over and over and over. The whole time, this is one of the reasons why I think that President Bush was probably a pretty good guy. Because the whole time he was in office, the, the secular news media that is so liberal hated him and persecuted him every day of his office. So that makes me think he must have been a pretty good guy. That alone. And what are they doing with this current administration? They don't have anything negative to say. That ought to tell you something. But mind control is a serious thing. And whenever the Antichrist rises to power, there are so many people that have shut off... Listen, so many people right now are watching movies and television and listening to music. And, they, and I'm not saying that that in and of itself is wrong. But it's the stuff that they are allowing themselves to go into this kind of a altered state. You know when you're watching a movie, you're, you're sitting there kind of in a passive state mentally. You hear what I'm saying? And there's people by the hundreds of thousands that are sitting there in a passive state watching things filled with witchcraft, filled with violence, filled with all kinds of sexual filth. And they don't realize it, but while they're in that vegetative type of state that Satan is sowing seeds into them now that one day the Antichrist will be able to rise up and he will be able to have some kind of a power, a supernatural witchcraft power about him that he can speak and it's going to tap right into that. And they're going to be pulled right into his net. That's why the Bible says, renew your mind. It says, have a strong, disciplined mind. Think for yourself according to the Word of God, but don't let somebody else think for you. Another thing that will rise to power will be murder and violence. You're going to see Belial. And that is a, a lawlessness and an anarchy arise, an increase of criminal activity and violent, violent crimes. You're also going to see arise, another world ruling spirit will be racism, especially anti-Semitism. And then the last of the seven world ruling spirits will be death and Hades. Death in Hades works like this. Death will wipe out a population and then Hades will harvest them down into hell. The ten horns are the ten provinces with kings and principalities. This is why I close with I just want to give you some stuff about Babylon because I'm going to go through the Babylonian system as I go through this and I'm going to help you understand the end times and understand Bible prophecy and understand the way Satan's kingdom is structured, and understand how they come against Christians, they come against Christian families, and they come against churches, and how to be victorious. But the ten horns represent the ten provinces that Satan's kingdom, the Antichrist, will have. The Bible predicts that there will be ten geographic regions in the earth 
that will have rulers over it. I'm talking about human rulers. And they will be principalities that rule over it. And they will align themselves with the Antichrist. If things keep going like they're going, I truly don't believe that America will be one of those ten. And I'll tell you why. I really believe that America is going to see another great awakening. And when the rapture happens, there's going to be a lot of people pulled out of here. Okay, But I also believe that America has deeply ingrained into its society... I hate to use the word rebellion, but there's not too many American people that will put up with the dictator. It's just ingrained in society. People don't like to be told in America that, you know, you can govern my entire life and tell me what I can buy, what I can eat. and all. They, they just, I really believe that America will buck up against that one day. I just do. That's what I believe. But there will be ten provinces, though, that align themselves with the Antichrist. And let me close out with just saying this, that what we're going to see is things are going to continue to get more evil in the world and more anti-Jewish and more anti-Christian. And there's going to come a time when true Christianity in America is going to be viewed as a hate religion. And it's going to be a hate crime to speak out against sin. And the church will go underground. When that time comes, a lot of technology as we know it, probably people are going to have to give it up because um, it can be accessed. You know, they can eavesdrop on your, on your cell phone. They can read your emails, etc., and there's going to be, you know. But at some point in time, the rapture is going to happen. And those that are ready, and not everybody will be, but those that are ready are going to be caught up with the Lord. And we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus, and we're going to spend time with Him. And while we're with Him, what's known as the tribulation will be happening on the earth. Which is only seven years. I imagine going through it, it will seem like 700 years, but it's still only seven years. So it's not that long of a time. But it's going to be so perilous, so difficult. The Bible says that the world would be completely destroyed if those days weren't cut short. And nobody would have survived. That's how perilous they're going to be. At the end of the seven years, tribulation, we're going to have spent time with the Lord. I am. I hope you are. I am, and I'm going to be with the Lord, and at the end of that time, He's going to have us come with Him. The Bible says His called, chosen, and faithful. Now, that's not everybody. You've got to understand He said His called, chosen, and faithful. But anyway, that's those that were called, chosen, and faithful are going to be with Him riding these horses. And He's going to come down. Listen, at the end of the seven years, the nations of the world, and look at it right now how it already is. The nations of the world will gather against the nation of Israel. And in the valley of Megiddo, there's going to be this last day battle, it's called Armageddon, where the kings of the earth are going to take their stand against Jerusalem. 
And the Jewish people are going to be backed up. They've got the coastline behind them and all around their border they're going to have armies coming against them. And they're going to cry out to God, the God of Abraham, for salvation. They are really going to be crying. It's going to be, the Bible calls it the days of tribulation. It also calls it the days of Jacob's trouble. It's the 70th week of Daniel for those that remember that study. But they're going to be crying out to God to save them. And as they're doing that, Jesus is going to split the eastern sky. And it's going to look like lightning. And he's going to come in glory. I mean, it's going to look like a, a lightning bolt, okay? And these armies are going to be so stupid, let's just say it, they're going to turn on him. That's stupid. And he's going to speak out of his mouth, and the Bible says the sword will go out of his mouth, and it will slaughter that entire army. And then he's, his feet are going to hit the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives are going to split in two. And he's going to go down into Jerusalem. And the Bible says the Jewish people are going to look on him whom they pierced. And they're going to mourn because they realize he really was the Messiah. He really was who he said he was. But they won't believe until they see him. And he's going to go into the temple and he's going to reign over the earth for a thousand years. And during that thousand years, Satan is going to be bound. He's going to be put down into the lower regions of the earth. The false prophet and the, and the Antichrist will be thrown straight into the lake of fire. And they're going to be bobbing around where they belong. But at the end of the thousand years, there's still going to be people that are procreating. And you're going to have people growing up during those thousand years that never knew what we knew. And me and you, we're going to be walking around telling people, Hey guys, there's this bad guy known as the devil. And in a thousand years, he's going to be let out of here. And he's going to go around trying to trick you. Now he tricked Eve. And he was, he was a bad dude for 6,000 years. And let me tell you, you need to not listen to him. When he comes to you and talks to you, don't listen to him. And there's still going to be some people that are going to listen to him. And he's going to be able to lead another rebellion. So he's going to do another sifting. See, God always uses the devil just to sift. Everybody's going to be given a choice. People that grew up, that were born and grew up during the thousand year reign of Christ, didn't really have the choice, so to speak, that we did. All they ever knew was paradise. And so the Lord is going to allow the devil to come through and sift. And these people are going to be so delusional that they're going to join with the devil and march up against Jerusalem like some little ridiculous army that's going to rebel against Jesus. And Jesus isn't even going to lift his pinky. He, there's going to be fire come down from heaven and fry him. And then Satan is going to be put in the lake of fire where he belongs. Then after that is going to come the great white throne judgment where everybody that was down in hell, everybody that had been there, are going to be brought up one at a time. And the books are going to be open and they're going to be told why they're going to spend eternity in hell. And then in the very end of all things, the Bible says that there will come a new Jerusalem down from heaven. It's a supernatural city. It's said about Abraham that he was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. Abraham knew God in such a way that he was looking for this city. This city is going to come down from heaven. It's a new Jerusalem. It's a spiritual thing. It's going to come down and rest on the earth. And the Bible says the dwelling of God will be with man and man with God forever. 
And there's Jesus is going to be the one that lights up the world. We're not going to need the sun as we know it. Because Jesus is going to literally be the light of the world. And there's going to be a river that flows out of his throne. And on each side of the river will be trees that have leaves. That the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And what Jesus is going to do during his thousand year reign before the Father comes. He's going to bring things back to the Garden of Eden paradise. That it was always meant to be. So right now during the church age you have the mighty awesome work of the Holy Spirit preparing for Jesus' coming. Then during the thousand year reign you're going to have the mighty work of Jesus preparing for the Father's coming. And when the Father comes it will be the restoration of all things. Amen. Amen. So this Babylonian system, don't be afraid of it. God's going to use us in these last days. The Bible says in Daniel, those that know their God will do great exploits. I believe God's going to use us in these last days in a greater way than He's ever used anybody. You know what a great prophet saw before he died? He saw God. Well, he saw Jesus. You remember Jesus said that he, he wanted to cast fire on the earth and He said, I longed that it was already kindled. He was talking about revival. But he said he saw Jesus and he was gathering up all the fire that was in every revival since the day of Pentecost. And here Jesus was above the earth and he was gathering up all this fire and cre creating this huge ball of fire. And in the last days right before he returned, he threw that fire on the earth. See, we're going to live in a time when we're going to see the greatest revival the world has ever seen by far. And there's going to be millions upon millions upon millions, maybe even billions of people that are going to be swept into the kingdom. And the greatest apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers will arise in these last days. I believe that. And God's going to use... And let me say this too, and, and I'm going to pray with people. It's important during these last days that you're underneath a good spiritual covering. And it's important that you're in church. The Bible says in Hebrews, don't forsake assembling together yourselves as some do, but all the more when you see the day approaching. We see the day approaching. If anybody has ever seen the day approaching, we, we see the day approaching. This is the time to be in church, not out of church. And let me say this too, because there may be people that are called into the ministry, they're called to pastor, and you're called to be in some kind of a ministry position. You, every minister needs a pastor. I have a pastor. Everybody needs a pastor. You need a church covering over you like an umbrella. You need it. Because I know that no matter what I'm going through, I know that I have a pastor and there's a church that he pastors that's kind of a spiritual covering. Not kind of. It is a spiritual covering for me. And I know that they're praying for me. And I know that the people I pastor... There's a blanket, there's an umbrella over you, and I'm praying for you. The intercessors are praying for you. And there's, a, there's an umbrella of protection with people that are in church that's not there for people that are out. And not only that, we need to be in church, but it, listen to me, it needs to go back to apostolic authority. And you better hear me. Denominations are man-made, and they will, they already have so many issues right now as it is. But they are really going to have major issues in these last days. Because it's made up of man's manipulation and politics. That's what it is. 
It's not something Jesus instituted. It's not something the Holy Spirit created. It is something that is man-made and it is political. So you need to associate yourself, even if somebody is connected with a denomination, you still need to associate yourself where the, it goes back up the line of authority to some kind of an apostolic covering. And that's who I have as a pastor, somebody that's definitely apostolic. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's going to go back to the apostles and the prophets in the last day, and back to Book of Acts Christianity. It will. Before Jesus comes, it's going to go back to Book of Acts Christianity. And don't be surprised if some of the greatest uh, apostles that have the most authority are not once again coming out of Jerusalem. Don't be surprised. Because it's going to go back to Book of Acts Christianity. And people are going to be used as evangelists the way that you see Philip was used so powerfully with signs and wonders. You're going to see true apostles, true prophets, that when they prophesy, it's actually the word of the Lord. And there's an authority. And I want to close this out right now. As I want to pray. You know, I was, I was contemplating how the Holy Spirit wanted to do this. But I really sense that what the Holy Spirit wants to do, because see, I say, I say this humbly, but you know what? I feel like I need to say it. When it comes to this type of subject matter that I'm preaching tonight, God has really spoken to me and really called me to this. And I feel it. When I minister along these lines, I feel it. I feel there's an authority there and there's an anointing God has invested there. Okay, I say that with humility because it's not me, it's the Lord. But I really feel that tonight the, that anointing is, is so strong on me and what I want to do is for those that, that want to share in that type of anointing, and what this type of anointing, like when you go and you hear somebody that's amazing man of God like John Kilpatrick or maybe a, a Rodney Howard Brown type, when they talk about revival, oh, I mean, you just, you feel it, man. They have an authority there. They have a mantle there. They're, they have a mantle of fire. And when they preach on it, man... When you, when you sit under some, some amazing man of God, like maybe a Dr. Cho or a, or a Larry Lee or somebody, and they're talking about prayer, man, you can feel it. It's there. There's something. When you, when you listen to Kenneth Hagin, the man is, is dead and been dead since 2003. You can listen to him preach on faith, and you feel it. There was something he had with God. And I, and I just feel like that when it comes to this subject matter, I'm talking about delivering the captives... And in the area of seeing people set free from demonic bondage. That's what I'm talking about. People set free. And it's, it's in the preaching. It's in, it's in what you say. It's in your words. But it's also the lightning of heaven that's in your hands to destroy the devil's works. Okay, when you're dealing with that subject matter, I really feel a strong calling there. Now, I said that to say, those that want prayer tonight, we're going we're gonna to shut down the recordings and I'm just going to pray for people who want prayer. But I'm believing for a really significant impartation for those that want it. Because there's something, there is something that, that I can just, even as I minister, I just feel like this strength come because God has called me to do it. And when you're called to do it, then there's something there. Okay, there's something there.
So if y'all would, just stand with me. Lord, I thank you for...